You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. But that particular book, I actually had that idea when I was in college. It was just gnawing at my brain. And it's like, it's more all these different scenes of Mina, like that that end scene that everybody, that, that freaks everybody out. Uh, that was one of the scenes that was in my mind. I mean, obviously, yes, it is more of a feminist horror. It's a female serial killer who targets men, but like, I didn't really approach it with that idea when I first started writing it. It was just like, oh, it'd be cool to have a female killer murder men. <laughs> a book about that. Hey, what's up, Vox and Hops heads? I'm Matt, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, brought to you by Sound Talent Media and Evergreen Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians to talk about their lives, music, and craft beer. Now, before we jump into today's episode, I'd just like to ask you to follow the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast on the podcast platform of your choice. But more than that, I would love for you to tell a friend about the podcast. If there's someone in your life that just loves metal, loves extreme metal, loves thrash metal, loves deathcore, loves metal... Well, do me a favor and let them know that the Vox and Hops Metal Podcasts exists. You can tell them that there are over 350 episodes where I hang out with some of the world's best metal musicians, and that's the absolute truth, and we talk all about their lives and music while enjoying a craft beer. If you would encourage one of your friends to become a brand new Vox and Hops head, that would be something that I would truly appreciate. Now, today on the podcast, I am joined by the author, Stephanie E. Jensen. Get ready, everyone. This is Vox and Hops episode number 359. I warn you, what you are about to hear is very disturbing indeed. Hey, what's up, everyone? Today, I'm with Stephanie E. Jensen, uh, the author. Very, very, very cool to be with you. Uh, We've known each other for quite some time. I want to say, you might correct me, I think it's since 2015. Uh, I'll go there later, but I believe it was around then. We were on tour and we met in the States at that point. You are an author. You are... The first official author that I've had on the podcast, am I correct there? I am not correct there. I'm taking it back. I'm sorry. <laughs> I just had John Goblicon on, and he, he has like a the guide to better living, and that was my joke. But as I said what I just said, I had Adam Tepedalin on, who wrote uh, the beer book the brutal beer book for decibel back in the day and i had forgotten that but as i said it i remembered it so i apologize to you adam stephanie how you doing i'm good how are you i'm good it's nice to see you uh, we we haven't crossed paths and you know this damn these damn times keeping us apart uh, you are coming up here in montreal sometimes we never seem to meet up, we uh, did meet up um at the at my yes, show yes 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 brutal montreal yes that was a great was show fun. that was awesome it was so much fun uh shittiest question uh, <laughs> the one that i like to start things off with the one that we all mostly start off with recently uh how have you been coping with the glorious years plural of 2020 2021 and hopefully not the rest of 2022 uh, how have you been living these glorious days 2020 was pretty rough um obviously the pandemic and everything it you know, affected me mentally. I was especially anxiety-wise. Like, I was worried about, well, not only my health, but my family's health. I was more worried about my family than anything. So, um, 2020 was rough, but uh, 2021 was a little better um, and because I was able to travel a little bit more, do more things, um, 
And I started really going to shows and going back out again the beginning of this year. So now, so far this year has been has been great. Definitely better than the last two years. So it's so weird how going to shows, being in that atmosphere, is such a crucial part of our existence. Exactly. That, that we took for granted before. We really did. I did at least. <laughs> I know I did. I was like, yeah, I'll see them next time they come through town. <laughs> you know, three years later. <laughs> yep, and then a, a, a global virus <laughs> prevents all bands from touring, and then you just wonder, like, will I ever go to a show again? Oh, it's 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 a special thing that we get to do to to connect with so many friends. Uh, exactly. You you know it as well as I do. My side of things, having been the touring artist, now doing this. Uh, I met you back in 2015, as I mentioned. Uh, you were doing interviews. Yeah. For something called the Age of Metal. Yeah. Am I correct yeah. There? That's it. And I remember having this this young bubbly character jump up on our tour bus. <laughs> <laughs> that's the way to describe it. And, and, you know, ask good questions and connect Thank with you. us. And it was a memorable connection. So, so we've met many, many more times mm-hmm. through there. So, so I, I, it's interesting to have been so connected with everything and then have it just disappear. I know. There we go. That's, that, that, to me, that's what matters. And talking to all my other friends in the industry, they all kind of predicted inevitably all of this will come back. It just kind of sucked that it was halted for a couple years and i'm especially concerned about all the festivals that it seems like Mm -hmm. they're yeah like mdf i guess it's going to be the last year some other Mm -hmm. festivals i mean that all of that is up in the air because they lost so much money and then especially Mm -hmm. like the bands that either broke up or went on hiatus like that to me is the most heartbreaking part of this whole pandemic so i'm hoping i guess what i'm hoping is that like with this you know now that we're it seems like we're getting past that um all this like all these great new bands will come out all these great new festivals and who knows maybe some type of innovative whatever something to uh, appreciate the concert experience will come out i don't know <laughs> hell yes i like that and uh, the ones that will stick around and have fought through it mm-hmm. you know the ones that uh, have that will to survive mm-hmm. and that's not knocking anyone that had to step away absolutely throughout the pandemic because it's it's a very very difficult decision to decide to no longer do something that you love all right I can't. for any reason that's important to them mm-hmm. vox and hops is all about hanging with my metal friends talking about their lives music and craft beer uh, what are you sipping on on your side right there, Stephanie? I am sipping on Sheepy uh, mm-hmm. out of my, apparently it's the Scream Bloody Gore. I can't really see it. It's the it's a death glass. It's the Scream Bloody Gore's birthday today, so figured I would oh. celebrate, get a death glass. But uh, Sheepy, here I'll hold the, uh, my camera's weird, it's down here. I'll hold the can up. This beer actually means a lot to me because I went to Montreal for the first time 2019 at the Quebec Death Fest and I was at Fuffs and just like when I travel I have this thing like I have to try beer from that region. I have to. So of course, you know, I, I go to Fuffs and, you know, I see all these beers on tap and I ask whoever is working the bar like, What's the best like Quebec-based um, brewery, and or, or 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 the best like beer on tap from a Quebec-based brewery? And so he recommended uh, Archibald, and they had Sheepy on on tap, and I was drinking this all weekend. So, <laughs> and I've since I since I've been here, I've discovered all these great other. Um, 
microbreweries here in Montreal and in the and, and in the province as well. So I love it. I love. I love. We have a, such a vibrant craft beer scene here, which is one of the reasons why I started Vox and Hops. I was completely enamored and addicted to everything that's going on here. Having toured the world, I wanted to share it with everyone. So cheers to you for enjoying a local Quebec beer. I will not be sadly. I I, I will be drinking a beer from Ontario. Oh, well, well, hey, beer is beer, and it's microbrew, and it's a oh, devastation on the nation. Nice. Hell yes, this is uh, Folly Brewing and Vox and Hops' collab for Devastation on the Nation. It's an imperial black lager called After Dark. It's a uh, 7.666%, obviously. Massive shout out to uh, Jamie Morris, uh, Tina, the rest of the Folly Brewing Company uh, for pulling this sucker off. Uh, funny story about this beer. Uh, they don't can their beers. They put their beers in bottles, typically. And to get the beer at the show in Toronto, the promoter in the venue was like, we only take cans. And within three hours, Jamie Morris is like, I got a canning machine. So, <laughs> hustle. I love it. I'm going to crack this, and I would love to hear about your very first beer. Wow. Um, I mean, I... Should I talk about my very first craft beer, my first beer in general? Because I don't honestly don't want to talk about my first beer in general. <laughs> that was, it's a slow build. I want to hear the first one and then we'll build up oh, to the good Okay, ones. well, I'm trying to remember. I, it had to have been some type of college party. It was I probably Miller Lite. Just something so offensive and awful. I also remember um, trying Bud Light had just come out with Bud Light Lime. (laughs) And I drank that with a couple of my neighbors again back. I was like college stage. So Um, tactic. Yeah. Um, And then a bunch of PBRs thrown in between there. Um, Those years were those were not good beer years. They were effective beers. And uh, Andrew Garrity, the three-time Vox and Hobbs alumni, loves Miller, Miller Lite. So cheers to him and cheers to you and your first beer. <laughs> cheers, to, cheers to Miller Lite and, and Garrity. <laughs> it's like nice malty caramel. Coffee-ish, little bit of chocolate bite, really smooth. Um, I'll enjoy it as it warms up a little bit. I took it out of the fridge probably 30 minutes ago. It's going to be really killer by the end of it. Massively cheers to Folly Brewing once again. Killer, killer. So let's dance into craft beer. At what point did you did you start seeking out and hunting for the best local craft beers as you did that night at Fofone Dictic? So it's a funny story. Um, I reconnected. Now this is... I can't remember my exact age. I had to have been like my early 20s, maybe 22, 23. And I reconnected with one of my high school boyfriends on Facebook. And, um, you know, he just reached out. He was like, hey, let's get a beer, whatever. You know, let's just talk. Let's hang. And so I was like, okay, cool. Why not? So he suggested, uh, this is in Largo, Florida, uh, Willard's Tap House. And he's like, okay, yeah, they have really good beers here, whatever. I'm like, cool walk in again you know miss bud light miller light um pbr not knowing what what even an ipa was at that time 
So my ex had to just pretty much explain everything about craft beer in the span of like a couple <laughs> minutes because at that point I was, I was ready to drink. So um, I don't even remember the beer I got. Um, I think I had like maybe a cider, something like kind of easier, a pale ale or a pilsner, something kind of easy I remember. Um, yeah. Transition beer from the PBRs and the Miller Lights. Yeah, it's, yeah some, some type of beer like that. And so, but whatever I had... I loved it, and I remember also trying my first IPA that night and enjoying that. Obviously, the hops, it's a little bitter when you're, a little too bitter when you first drink it, but I still remember liking the taste and liking the beer, and um, I do want to give a shout-out to Willard's Tap House. They have 40 beers on tap at all times from all different microbrews all over the world. They even get, like, imports from, like, Belgium, Germany, uh, Czech Republic, all of that, and... They're one of my favorite places in the world. And so, um, and now I go there on a regular basis. Like I introduced my brother to Willard's, uh, a bunch of my friends. So now that kind of became for a a long time, that kind of became our little hangout spot. So awesome, awesome place. Well, well, next time I'm down there in Florida with you, you got to bring me to Willard's Tap Oh, I will. You will love it there. It's such a cool (laughs) atmosphere, such a cool vibe and great beers. That makes me, I'm excited to get down there. Uh, How similar was that to your transition to metal you're you're like initially oh it's a little bit bitter but i love it was it the same thing with metal like metal this is too extreme for me and then all of a sudden you're just yeah celebrating scream bloody gore on this anniversary because you know that oh yes it was definitely a bitter at first and now i'm drinking sheepy talking to matt mcgatchy on 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 box and pops (laughs) um so how it's actually funny how I got into metal. I got into metal for my older brother, and he had discovered Slipknot. And of course, to any, at that time I was nine. He was, I think, eleven or twelve. So of course, to like an eleven, twelve-year-old, like Slipknot's like the most extreme, crazy thing, greatest thing you'd ever hear. And of course, it's like the circus. Right? Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, it is. There's like ten members in that band. Of course, it's a circus, and they're all wearing like, masks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so of course when a kid is like, oh my god, what is this? And then of course I thought it was stupid. <laughs> I, I hated it. Oh yeah, just just because your brother liked it. <laughs> yeah, I was like, and, and he and he would play Wait and Bleed on repeat over and over again, and I was like, turn that off. It's annoying. It's screaming. And it's not music. I was just one of those jerks, and um, and then eventually I started liking it, and then I discovered. Uh, that's again when new metal was taking over. Uh, so Corn, that was the other band I got into, and then from there I went to the old classics like Iron Maiden, Judas Priest, um, you know, Megadeth, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, from there, and uh, eventually, at first I got into the more gothic, like the Nightwish, Lacuna Coil stuff, and then it was a friend. This is back. I think I I had to have been fourteen or fifteen now at this point. And a friend of mine said, oh, have you heard about death or have you discovered death? I was like, no, what's that? And he sent me the human album and the, like, I cannot believe anybody <laughs> could play that material. And then from there, suicide, cannibal corpse, obituary, and then how your brother showed off Slipknot. You thought it was weird. Eventually you got into it. Uh, new metal. How much of this new music coming into your life came from your brother? Or was it from your circle of friends, the the influence of metal in your life? 
My brother was uh, the very first, so he got me into the new metal, but also he first discovered some of the more classics like Maiden Priest from video games that he was playing. And then, yeah, like... Guitar Hero, is that, is that, does that make sense? It wasn't Guitar Hero, but yeah. Like one of those influential okay. games back in like the early... This had to have been the early 2000s. Um, <laughs> I know uh, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater, I think they had a Maiden yeah. song, they had Number of the Beast. Um, I can't remember which games had the pre-songs, but yeah, it was a lot of whatever. The video games my brother was playing at the time is how he discovered um, some of the more traditional metal bands. And his best friend at the time was also like he would always discover new bands before anybody else in our little age group. So, um, but yeah, and then also Pantera. Um, my brother's a big Pantera fan. He got me into Pantera as well. And then, but the gothic stuff, I discovered that on my own. Just from reading metal magazines, I started reading Revolver. And I had a question about that. How much was it sort of you trying to find your, your own identity in the genre um, with female-fronted bands? Was this something that allured to you? Oh, absolutely. Like, oh, this is interesting. This is going to be mine. My brother's not really going to like it because it's not his style it's my thing and then your friends sort of female friends i'm assuming got into it um it was mainly when uh like i mentioned i saw pictures of like lacuna coil like i remember it was a interview with christina uh scabia on revolver and you know i mean yeah of course she's a woman you know very talented singer but of course like she just seemed cool like whatever i liked her answers in the interview you know she seemed really like um down to earth and uh, from there, and I like Lucuna Coyle's music after I discovered, um, after I read that interview. And then Nightwish, it's the same thing. I saw, um, you know, whatever, pictures of the band that promoted in the magazine. And I was like, cool, let's look this band up now. And I got there. This was back when CD stores were a thing. So I got, I think, once, um, one of their CDs. And I liked the opera singing. I thought that was cool. I never would have expected that in metal. And then I guess, I don't know if I was trying to carve out, like, my own identity in metal. Um, I mean, I know, like, I introduced those bands to my brother, and he respected them, you know, especially, like, he loved the singing. Um, but he is a drummer, so he's very specific. He likes, you know, to this day, he likes bands with really good drumming. Um, so... Not saying those bands don't have good drummers, but of course my brother, like, you know, he's one of those, he became obsessed with Mike Portnoy when Dream Theater was whatever. Yeah, like one of those types. So, but then, yeah, I guess like Extreme Metal, that was just the friends I was hanging out with. I think the Florida scene had a lot to do with that as well. Like listening to Death, Obituary, DSI, all that. It's like you're in the stomping grounds of where everything came from. It's like, it's like Montreal now. Oh, absolutely. With, with tech death. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, it's interesting to see the amount of bands that are continuing to evolve out of Florida and the ones that are going to continue evolving out of Montreal because we've seen it's possible to do it growing up mm -hmm. in, in, in jam rooms, knowing that songs were written in these walls. It gives you almost the sense of possibility that you can do it again. And there's actually a jam space, People's Storage in Tampa, and I've been there mm -hmm. so many mm -hmm. times. Like that's where I've heard stories. About oh yeah, that's where Cannibal Corpse still rehearses, and a bunch, a bunch of bands uh, in the area. Still. I've heard. I've heard it's really fucking hot. Oh, Florida's really fucking hot in general, so it's not like it's nothing. 
You know, I mean, obviously, if you have a big fan, like they're not air conditioned rooms. As long as you have a big fan, mm-hmm. it's fine. But, uh, but yeah, I've been in people's storage. It's good suffering. Absolutely, it is good suffering. I think all all extreme metal is good suffering. As as Lord Worm would say, <laughs> that's 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 definitely a Lord Worm sentence right there. Uh, let's dance into uh, shows. Your first shows. Do you remember the first show that you went to? Go Speaking see? of Slipknot, doesn't have to be metal. It, oh, it okay, was. Yeah, it was a Subliminal Versus tour. So really? it was uh, Slipknot, Lamb of God, Shadows Fall, and The Bled. So that was definitely very impressionable for a twelve-year-old. <laughs> I can imagine. Did you go with your brother? Yeah, you uh, my brother and our dad, and our dad was not very happy the entire night. He <laughs> had a newspaper, was reading the newspaper while I no. well, Oh yeah, oh yeah. We were sitting up at the nosebleeds, and he's flipping through the newspaper while I'm headbanging. No way. That's a, <laughs> I typically ask what the soundtrack of your youth is, where what your parents listened to. What what was your dad into? If he wasn't into. <laughs> Slipknot oh, and Lamb of God. Uh, Led Zeppelin. <laughs> um, I actually inherited his whole vinyl collection, and my dad was because, of course, I knew he loved Led Zeppelin. Um, he loved well, he loved everything by Eric Clapton, but he especially loved his work with Cream. He loved the Beatles, um, all you know, Jefferson Airplane. I knew he was a big Janis Joplin fan, like all of the rock and folk artists from like the sixties to the seventies. My dad was a big big fan of that uh, of, of that style and then I got into that style but then when I inherited his vinyl collection I discovered like all these obscure folk bands that I would never have known before and I'd actually was talking to um, a friend of mine and he was just yapping away about some folk singer I, I don't know and I but I recognize the folk singers. I can't remember what the singer is now. But I recognize his name, and I said, "Oh, I have some of his vinyl from my dad's collection." And then my friend was like trying to, like, sell me the vinyl. He's like, "That stuff is rare." I'm like, "My dad's collection. I am not selling it. No. Not selling it. <laughs> nope." So apparently, I have some very, very expensive vinyl. Like some, probably some first pressings in there. <laughs> for my dad's collection of all like but of course amazing. Yeah, of course he has like led zeppelin and you know all, all the classics uh what was it about metal that was too much for your dad i think the i think the vocals i think for most people mm. with uh perspective it's the vocals <laughs> which i love the vocals I, I like the music i like the music but the singing's a bit too much see i vo- i remember my mom saying that about slipknot the first album this drummer's really good <laughs> <laughs> i like the drummer <laughs> <laughs> um, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah. the uh, See, I've always loved metal vocals. I'm just not saying that because I'm, you're talking to me. Like, I've always just was so fascinated by growls and um, how, you know, and also like how to sing with melody while you're growling. Mm. And it just sounds so monstrous and inhuman. I love it. You, you never attempted to, to get on stage. And correct me if I'm wrong there. I actually was um because i mentioned people's storage because i was briefly in a band i actually taught myself how to growl amazing <laughs> yep uh street weave it's more it's like so we took the tampa it was more of like a thrashy style we kind of took the whole tampa vibe but made a big joke out of it like we had a song about hurricanes <laughs> uh <laughs> we, we we had a bunch of silly songs like another song about a flamingo like a bunch of silly tampa that kind of like poked fun at um at tampa and the whole like vibe and culture of you know that part of florida um 
and it was actually my guitar player. He had a kid, and I and at that point I was also kind of I was wanting to focus more on my writing. And I know the other like the drummer in the band. He was in a bunch of bands as it was, and uh, so was the other guitar player. And we all just kind of like you know broke up, so to say. But after the guitar player left, you know when he had a kid, but um, it was fun. I learned that I I prefer the process of making music and working with other musicians more than actually being on stage because I feel like it's just so much pressure you have to get to the venue on time and they have to load it and da 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 sound check it's like I just want to just have fun <laughs> and drink a couple beers at people's <laughs> storage with my friends and make weird noises on a microphone is, is it something you still find yourself doing screaming no is it something you do in the shower or did you did you hang up your 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 screams in order to pick up your right. Well, let's see. Could I still do them? Yes, I can. I'm actually shocked. Okay, from not <laughs> not doing my screams for a long time, it actually sounded not terrible. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but it was pretty good. <laughs> nice. <laughs> You're hired. Oh uh, yeah. Okay, cool. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I don't know what I'm hired for, but I'm hired for something. <laughs> uh, you you. We're interviewing people for a long time. You, the Age of Metal, and then Infernal yep. TV was the next time that we hooked up, and you interviewed yep. the bandwagon. Mm-hmm. Uh, talk to me about being an interviewer. What that means to you? Uh, Infernal TV is more than that. It was like your website. All right. Um, so, well, I mean, I guess at that point uh, when I formed Infernal TV, I had been a music journalist for. I would want to say five years at that point, and I mean, I did a bunch of amazing things with other websites, but um, very shortly after, um, you know, I started my um, venture as a music journalist, I wanted to form my own website, do my own thing, Um, because I had a lot of ideas for my you know, like how I wanted my interviews to look, how I wanted to approach content creation and everything. And um, and I was just interested in the editorial aspect of journalism. And the, the beside, that's the behind the scenes, the, the thinking before the questions are going to ask. Absolutely. Um, and. Yeah, so um, I ended up, because The Age of Metal, I've been with that website for years. And then, um, and I am the editor, uh, the guy who ran it, he actually moved to Europe. So I don't think the website's active anymore. I know uh, Miguel, he's contributing to, I think I saw he's doing stuff with Metal Insider now. He's working for another website. Um, but yeah, I think after he moved overseas, he kind of hung up the, the website. Um, but I had left before that, too. Um, we'll want to focus more on writing books. And um, while I was writing the first draft of Dissecting House, I formed Infernal TV. And yeah, so like I said, I just kind of wanted to do my own thing uh, for my own website. And yeah, that's how Infern- that's how I birthed Infernal TV. And and yeah, I mean, it is nice because I pretty much just get to do what I want. I get to cover the artist I want. And um, it's, and at that point, I had, because um, I work full-time as a freelance writer doing uh, search engine optimization and everything. So I applied that knowledge as well to 
uh, to my websites and uh, really started to explore more about like, you know, like, like I said, the content creation process and uh, really using my own creativity towards my own content, you know, rather than listening to like an editor, another editor doing what they wanted. So, but I mean, I still like I uh, contribute to Outburn magazine. Um, they treat me extremely well over there. Um, whenever I have like an idea, whatever, like my editors are always cool to like if I pitch something, they're always cool to whatever. Just let me run my own thing. And so, yeah, I love working with Outburn. I also work for a couple like a guitar website, guitarspace.org and a rock website, rockerainsider.com. And again, like working with that, um, those editors is always really great. So I do stuff other than Infernal TV and music, but Infernal TV is like my little baby. Talk to me about uh, be becoming a music journalist. Where does that come from? What what was the mindset? What what got you into that? I, I fell into it. I was like, I'm going to drink beer with my friends, <laughs> and then and then the publicist found me, and, and then I, I I end up that's how it works. You know, having a conversation with a new friend, and then you know, thirty forty minutes in, I finally talk about what the publicist wants me to talk about, but <laughs> respectfully, of course. Yes, of course. Um, <laughs> But so I, like, well, I guess going back to when I was, um, you know, a teenager discovering my first metal bands and looking through a revolver and all those magazines. And at that point, I, because I had started writing just creative, you know, fiction, whatever, um, young, I was like six years old. So I knew I always wanted to be a writer. Um, and uh, when I was like, again, reading the interviews with Revolver, I'm like, hey, I could do this. So I got uh, my first magazine writing gig. I was 20, and it was for Tampa Bay's Mayhem magazine. I wish I was back uh, in Florida. I could actually show you. I still have some of those old magazines, but I don't bring them to Montreal when I come up here. So, um, <laughs> But yeah, um, so Tampa Bay's Mayhem magazine, and they weren't like a metal magazine. They mainly covered local artists, but... You know, the editor was still able to hook me up with a couple of interviews with all these, you know, different bands and everything. Um, but I wanted to focus on something more specific to metal because I knew that's the genre I wanted to cover. So then that's when I got with The Age of Metal. I had also contributed to Metal Wani as well, doing like some reviews and everything. And then um, that all led again to um, me forming my own website. And then I had also been published uh, one time in Metal Hammer, um, but that's how I met Jeremy Saffer from Outburn Magazine, the editor-in-chief, and then he got me uh, into Outburn, so. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I guess, yeah, how I just always loved magazines. I loved collecting, reading magazines, and um, when I, because it was cool being with the first gig, uh, again, they were print magazine, only print, um, but then I saw that things were moving to the online space, so I kind of hopped on that. But then after a while, I missed like a physical magazine. So uh, Outburn's back in prints now. So like, it's also, I always get the, the different issues and I love flipping through them. And it's like, yeah, it's a physical magazine again. Like my name right there on it. <laughs> Vivid memories of my dad. I don't know how my dad got them. He, he would bring home these magazines and I would flip through them. And it's just such a feeling. My room was just like plastered with various faces as a teenager. <laughs> you, you just rip out magazines. the pictures and you just tack them the on the wall. The that I wanted. Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it was the best. So, so, so you've been writing stories since you were six years old. Uh, I read that 
your, your dad discovered at 10 years old that you could write what, what's that story so, <laughs> this is so embarrassing um i oh i i also loved wrestling as a kid oh, yes. and who doesn't like wrestling well i had a crush on wrestling <laughs> you live you live in florida too because it's you have no choice but to like death metal and wrestling true um <laughs> but i had a big crush on the wrestler edge <laughs> and i wrote a little fan fiction the day I met Edge. Because <laughs> I was so upset because WWE came to Tampa and my parents wouldn't let me go and I cried and I got no. mad. So I wrote a story if I were to have gone to WWE and met the wrestler Edge. And so my dad finds this document on the computer um, and he actually created like a little book he found all these pictures of edge online and he like put together a little book and he gave it to me the like the day of, of the of the, the whatever the the events the wwe events gave me the little book and that's how he discovered my writing <laughs> I, I hope the book was more pg than what you're writing now because now, now you've written you've written three books like and and i i've read all three I've like literally like read them and destroyed one of them. Sadly, (laughs) I read them for real, so so people will know that I actually did read them. It started out with the the dissecting house, which is uh, a Mina Bassey serial killer novel. Uh, You've written two Mina Basseys so far. Uh, What was your mindset? Now I've I've written a book of short stories. I did that back in. 20 2009 and 2009 it, it was not easy so so and i'm not proud of them so so talk to me about this first book that mindset of i'm gonna write a book i'm actually gonna do it uh, do you remember that day the first time you sat down where where the ideas came from i'd love to hear about the the birth story which is a question i hate to ask musicians typically but i'm interested so well actually my very first book technically wasn't even dissecting house um i wrote uh it's more of a dark fantasy um book when i was in high school and i didn't publish it obviously well i've lost all those files again that was 15 10 15 years ago um but um but that was technically the first book i wrote and But going and so going into dissecting house, I had already learned um, about like whatever the novel writing process um, from Falling Out of the Frost. uh, That was the first book that I wrote, and getting organized. And um, because at first I just you know I, I would wing it, but now. I've learned you have to plan, you have to write different notes. That's actually something I got from J.K. Rowling. She said that in an interview she had uh, index cards for all of her different characters and everything. So uh, you have to plan everything. You have to plan the chapters. You have to plan the characters. You know, even if it's just like a sentence, like this is who the character is. This is what they look like. This is their personality, whatever. Um, Just something so you can refer back and keep yourself organized while you're writing. Um, So I already... Um, I already knew, you know, prepared myself for that when I wrote Dissecting House. Um, But that particular book, I actually had that idea when I was in college. But, you know, full-time student, I worked also, and I was still interviewing bands, so I didn't have time to write a book. Um, But it was just gnawing at my brain for years, just this idea. And it's like, it's more all these different scenes 
of Mina, like that that end scene that everybody that that freaks everybody out. Uh, that was one of the scenes that was in my mind, and also a couple scenes that I ended up uh, using for my for the sec for the sequel. Those were in my mind while I was in college. I don't, you know. I mean, obviously, yes, it is more of a feminist horror. It's a female serial killer who targets men, but um, I didn't really uh, have that. I like I didn't really approach it with that idea when I first started writing it. It was just like, oh, it'd be cool to have a female killer murder men. <laughs> a book about that, and because I mean. You know, again, it's not the first book where there's a female, like, where the woman is the perpetrator and the men are the victims. Like, you can look at Audition. Uh, that's a good example. Um, a movie and a book. And I just read the book. Also, it's phenomenal. Um, and then there's another book, Heartsick, uh, where there's a female killer. Um, but I guess I just wanted, especially with... Um, now, I wrote that book before Me Too, but... Um, Still, just some, I guess, like some of my experiences as a woman, you know, getting harassed and yada yada. I wanted to incorporate that in there. And then at that time, I had in college, I think that was pivotal in a way because I did take a couple of feminist theory classes, but I also took um, um, women writer courses as well. And one of them, it, uh, classes that I took was uh, women writers in the 19th century. And um, I learned a lot, of, you know, not only about, you know, like, you know, some of the more um, iconic, you know, female writers from that era, but also of, you know, the culture, the society uh, from the 19th century. And one of them was the angel in the house. Um, that's what they, the, the standard of women during that time where you had to be like ideally blonde, pretty, you're, you know, whatever, serve you know, serve the kids, serve the husband, and, you know, you wear these tight corsets, and you can't breathe, and, you know, all the ridiculous, but Mina kind of, like, she's blonde hair, blue-eyed, beautiful woman, but she's a totally antithesis, like, her personality, but looks-wise, that is what she looks like, so there are some aspects um, about feminism that definitely influence the affecting house, but I think I kind of grew more into uh, the feminist ideals, like specifically with some of the men she targeted and how they treated her and then how she kind of uh, got back at them. I wrote you <laughs> early on <laughs> as I was reading Dissecting House. And then as I was writing it, I was like, would I write this to a male friend? And then I was like, yeah, I would. So so I, I had mentioned that I, I think I should be nice to you. You've always been nice to me. You've always been nice to me, though. It, it, it's quite quite graphic it's it's you know we come from a world of death metal so we're used to gore we're used to pushing the boundaries when it comes to our imagination uh in the gruesomeness of things but uh, it's out there it's it's some of the gruesomest stuff that i've read and i don't know if it's because it's tied into to uh the severing of male organs <laughs> or, or the storage of them and the, the lack of care of them afterwards. Uh, where did the, the gruesomeness come from that, that you've put into your work? Uh, the gruesomeness came from my love of horror. Um, that's how, that's how uh, the, ex the extremities came from. Um, around that time, I also discovered um, extreme horror films because, of course, at that point I had watched whatever, all of, like, Friday the 13th and Halloween. I've seen all of them all. Um, but 
there is the sub the subgenre of the extreme horror films that just freaking they break you. Like I remember the first time I watched Salo, that movie broke me. Um, yeah, and that movie absolutely. If you've never seen that movie, proceed with caution. That's all. I'm, that that movie broke me. Um, and then Cannibal Holocaust. So was, I mean, it was just more like the because I love animals and they ate a turtle in the movie, and that kind of made me bummed out. But um, yeah, that one, Martyrs. Um, that's another good one. Like a Serbian film. All that, like that genre of extreme horror films. Um, I had discovered that around the time of writing Dissecting House. And so I think that, you know, spawned like a, oh, I want to take that, but with books. But as I find out a couple years later, there's a whole other uh, literary genre of extreme horror books that go there even further. So, oh yeah, oh yeah. Uh, Mean is a very captivating main character to the point where you sent me all three books. I know that you wrote The Howling of the Dead between the two, but I immediately jumped to Screaming Streets because uh, she was such a captivating character. I wanted to know what the hell was going to go on and what was going to happen with her. And uh, it's interesting to to have a... It's like you made the decision that Mina Bassi was going to be something you were going to continue writing. Mm Mm-hmm. When when you started the first, yeah, yeah, I knew there was going to be three. Mm, okay, interesting. Well, the third will be a prequel. I'm wor- I'm writing that right now, actually. Amazing, <laughs> amazing. Let, let's jump to the middle one, though the the Howling of the Dead. Uh, you, you've you've mentioned to me in in writing as we we're setting this up that uh, some of this is based on true stories. So so what 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 how how much you, you have it in the beginning that uh, all of this is fiction. <laughs> super cool. <laughs> preface that that authors put in names and such are, are not real uh but these guys are actually metalheads uh they're in a band together a couple uh move into a house the house is fucked up they have a great experience uh, how much of of your writing is based on your life is actually inspired you mentioned that some of the mina stuff was inspired um from shitty things that you went through so 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 talk to me about the the influence the inspiration that that goes into your writing well uh for the howling of the dead um i mean there's one scene and um, there are no spoilers here but it's the couple kylie and brayden they're outside they're i don't know smoking weed or smoking cigarettes i don't remember what they're doing um but they hear this terrifying scream but it's more of like an animalistic scream that kind of sounds Almost like it's in another dimension. It's like almost digital sounding, uh, staticky. I actually went through that. That happened. It was me and not Rob, but the guy, um, my ex-boyfriend. Uh, but he and I were together at the time. And he lived out in not like the woods, but he lived in a small town in South Carolina. So uh, there was still a lot of like woods. Um, you know, I don't know how many acres uh, of land was on his house, but you know, he had a decent sized property and, um, you know, woods surrounding us, everything. So, uh, he and I were out, you know, we're just smoking weed, just talking, whatever in his backyard. And then we hear that scream. That's exact, that exact scream that I described in the book. And I was like, I'm freaking out, like just chills all over my body. And I was like, what was that? He's like, Oh, I hear that, da da da, whatever, whatever. And he's like all just being so nonchalant about everything. 
And then he's like, oh, yeah, there are Native American burial grounds on this property. And at first, I just thought he was scaring me. But then the next day, I actually spoke to his dad about it. And his dad's like, no, there really is Native American burial grounds out here. I'm like, oh, book idea, book idea. So, and that, because um, I wrote that book after we broke up, like right after we broke up. Um, and it was just like all the idea was so threat. It was so fresh, like a couple and um, they're, they're, they're together in the book, but they're kind of, you know, not really like doing too well, but they're hoping going to this cabin will kind of help to whatever, get their lives back in order. He can pursue his music. She can pursue her horse breeding business. And, um, yeah, and and the whole thing goes to shit. (laughs) I mean, like other than, oh, and then there's another scene where they're sleeping and then you hear the footsteps, but they sound like hooves. And again, it happened to me and my ex. We were, you know, well, we had just both gone to bed and um, there was the porch that was right outside of his bedroom. And again, I thought I heard what sounded like footsteps. So I shake him. I'm like, oh my God, there's footsteps, there's footsteps. And I'm like pointing to the door. He's like, those are just acorns going to bed. So the next day. Which is exactly what happened in the book. Yeah. yeah. And so, well, the next day there were acorns all over the, uh, all, all, all over. <laughs> so it's like, oh, okay. Yeah, sure. He's right. But. Of course, in the book, there are no acorns. It was scary. (laughs) (laughs) It was scary. It was fun. It was, uh, I love the metal aspect, the the descriptive uh, nature of him, the way he plays. Uh, You could tell you're you're a metalhead, so obviously it comes across that way but it's it's refreshing to read stuff written by metalhead and not something that's just you know invented and contrived by someone that has no idea what's going on just because it fits the character i agree there's a few things also in 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 the in the screaming streets as well there was the the two metalheads that mina runs into near the end which was it was very and you know they're having this debate about the (laughs) band or something and it was it's interesting to read so that scene is you know when we talk about these bands we just because we're so passionate about it we love these <laughs> bands and we get so into it and i always wonder like god to the outside world we probably sound like freaking idiots <laughs> so i just kind of wanted to create two guys who were just talking about some like doom death band like no this is their best this is their best album and then mina and her slave are in the car like what the fuck are they talking about <laughs> <laughs> it was fun, it was fun. Yes. Uh, i'd like to talk about the evolution of your writing okay. uh, i have to say that uh, the latest one screaming streets is by far your best writing. really i feel like I feel like the writing has really just stepped up i don't know what you had to do to get there I'm interested in that. Uh, there, there is Lindsay Smith that stepped in as as an editor, as, as someone that reads the, your your work now, because it's very hard to, to edit and read your own stuff. It's, Absolutely, yeah. We do, we don't see what's actually written is is the problem. Absolutely, and um, oh, oh yeah, and, and and she was great um, as far as an editor. But I mean, I think it's beyond like it's hard to answer that question as far as you mentioned Screaming Streets. To this day, I'm not fully satisfied with that book. Like. The first time, well, I mean, I, again, I'm no spoilers, um, but like as you know, uh, you know, Mina changes, her situation changes in the second book, and 
I knew she would have to be a lot more vulnerable, but I feel like when I first wrote it, I made her too vulnerable and I lost her character. And when I was going back through, because I do, so like now I have an editor, but I do also edit myself um, as well. And before, I always do my own, I do like, I think, three rounds of edits before even giving it to the editor. Uh, Yeah. So, um, and I remember going through my first round of edits and I'm like, this isn't Mina. This isn't Mina. And, yep, so then I had to read, even right before I published it, even after the editor had it, I still was reading sections like, "Mm -mm, I don't like this, and I rewrote like half of a chapter um, so maybe, maybe that is, you know, you're not the first person who said that. Another, um, another one of my readers told me that he thought the sequel was better than the first book. And again, that shocked me just because I put it out there, like still not 100% about it. But knowing I already said I would release a book on this day, I'm going to freaking release it. So, because I knew if I would keep going back, the book will never come out. So I just forced it out there and still wasn't 100% about it. But... Maybe the fact that I did just, you know, I was super critical about my work and kept going back and revising and, um, you know, or maybe I just had a better grasp of who Mina was. Um, Maybe that also had a lot to do with it. Um, I don't know, but I did learn a lot um, because I wrote Dissecting House not knowing any, like I knew how to write, but I didn't know anything about the publishing world. And, um, and I didn't know anything, like, I mean, obviously I had read, like, whatever, Stephen King, Clive Barker, like, the big horror writers, but there was another subgenre of extreme horror I had not even touched, and Splatterpunk, I never even knew existed. So I wrote uh, Screaming Streets after reading some, you know, like, other notable writers um, and other books and that, the more extreme genre. So maybe that also had a lot to do with it. Um, Again, I don't know, but I also know I had, um, I mean, of course, like you mentioned, an editor, but it's actually some of my beta readers, some of my colleagues who were the most, like the biggest help and, you know, said, don't use adverbs in your writing. Uh, Don't, you know, try to be aware of repetition. And so I use those critiques, you know, towards my other books and now with my next two books now. So good stuff. Keep it going. And and absolutely. I think that giving yourself a deadline pushing yourself to get there being hypocritical it's only going to make the work better and, and the big master writer Stephen King he plops head books and plops is the wrong word he releases books uh, very frequently so I can only imagine that he probably doesn't like each one as much as he probably should either yeah that I know for a fact Hey, what's up, Fox and Hops heads? I just want to take a little moment about Cryptopsy's upcoming tours. That's right, I'm talking about the Scream of Perseverance tour and our headliner dates that coincide with that tour called As Summer Burns. The Scream of Perseverance tour is kicking off at the end of May and runs all the way until the end of June. We are supporting the mighty death to all. We are going all over the United States and we are hitting some of Canada. So excited to be honoring the legendary music of death alongside amazing musicians that performed on these albums. Even more stoked to be doing some headliner dates in some cities that I've actually never played in. If you are planning to come to any of these shows, you should definitely grab your tickets by going to voxandhops.com slash summer 
and you will be able to grab all of your tickets there. That's voxandhops.com slash summer. Do it, people. Come hang out with me. Enjoy life, metal, and craft beer in your hometown. Come to a show. We're going to have a great time. Now, enough about all of that. Let's get back to the episode. Independent release. Talk to me about that decision versus getting it published. Did you try to find a publisher? Um, the record label versus the independent band? Yes. Um, I first, well, I had actually sat on Dissecting House for about a year before I published it, uh, self-published, because I was trying to get, a pu- at first I contacted publishers and then agents and then even indie horror publishers and nobody would sign me. I just kept getting ghosted, like n- no responses, not even a rejection. So eventually I just said, fuck it, I'm self-publishing. Um, I did a bunch of research on publishing on Amazon and it's so easy. It is so easy. And even talking to some of my musician friends and colleagues um, who, you know, they might have a couple of bands, like one might be signed to a label, but their other project, you know, might be like a band camp type of deal. And they actually told me the same thing. It is so easy to self-publish music. And you know, I even was, um, again, obviously no names mentioned, but I was talking to one, you know, pretty notable musician who, you know, he told me that he thinks in the next like 10 years, 10, 15 years, there won't even be a need for a label. And I think the same thing for, um, uh, and for writing. And we are going into that, uh, that direction now because a lot of writers that I know, most of them are if they're not full self-published, they still do self-publish their own work. Or if they do have a publisher, it's just an indie publisher. They don't have like a big, big name publisher. Because even if you get with an indie publisher, or even if you have the right connect, like distribution connections as a, a self-published author, you can still get your books in the bookstores. But even, um, I actually did talk to one of my uh, author colleagues, and he told me to this day, he still gets his best sales on Amazon. To this day, it's and, and you can publish your own work on Amazon. It's so easy. So it's like, you know, we're already going in that direction. But I mean, of course, there are, as I'm sure there are benefits of getting a label. There are benefits of having a publisher, you know, for promotion, um, marketing. Um, you know, there's a lot of investments into publishing your own writing. You know, you have to get an editor, uh, book cover, all of that. But have to worry about that when you have a publisher so of course there are benefits but but you found a niche you, you you've hit there's people that are interested in what you're writing and that's what's important so so that's just going to keep growing i'm a fan i'm excited with what you've built uh as soon as i saw you're doing it i had to do it uh, you sent me these three books i read them i literally brought them with me to work on the metro the subway broke this one you sign them, and I'm going to sign them, and then we're going to do like a, a giveaway where I'm going to ship these three books to a Vox and Hops head. Uh, you got to pay attention in, in the next few days when you're listening to this episode. There'll be a post about it. I'll do a collaborative post with uh, Stephanie here uh, on Instagram probably, and you could you could win these books, and I'll ship them to you, and it's the actual books that I read. So uh, cheers to Stephanie for, for sending them to me so that I can enjoy them before this conversation. It was important for me to know what the hell I'm talking about, because uh, that's what I like to do. Um, if Mina, and I don't think she would like beer, she doesn't seem to be a character that would enjoy a beer. She doesn't like to lose control. Uh, she likes to be in control. So 
if she could make a beer, what style of beer would it be and what would we call it? Hmm. You know, I drink, I had a beer. I think it, the brewery, it was a small brewery in St. Pete. It's called If I Ruled the World. And it was a stout, but it was blood red in color. <laughs> that would be Amazing. the beer. Because, I mean, beyond the fact that it's brutal looking, like the blood red beer, but Mina is the type of person, you look at her, but you wouldn't expect her to be a sadistic serial killer. So, um, so a beer like that, uh, or one of those, like, um, it's um, the pale ales, but they're actual stouts. Uh, Master of Disguise from Stone Brewing, that's a good example. Something like that. I feel like those, because those just perfectly describe who Mina is. Like, just completely unexpected. <laughs> I love that. Uh, one last question. Classic Vox and Hops wrap-up question. Um, it probably doesn't happen to you very often because you're very busy uh, writing all the time. You're, you're creating new things. You're here in Montreal. You're back in Florida. But every once in a while, it happens to everyone. What is your hangover cure? Oh, I definitely have. <laughs> Hangovers, um, I mean, so I'll I'll try not to be too wordy about this, but I suffer from migraines. Um, But I last year, I mean, I've been experimenting with my diet, but I've noticed that the plant based diet has been the best for my body. And I've experienced a significant reduction in migraines like now. I don't even get hangovers anymore. So I don't know if it's just like the fact I'm consuming more nutrients or uh, maybe, you know, the animal products is causing inflammation in my body. Like I haven't really talked to my doctor about this. So I'm not a medical professional. I'm not going to tell you what exactly, um, you know, what caused that. But I mean, I guess just uh, nutrition. That's just to me the best hangover cure. Um, obviously, this is not very nutritious, but taking a couple Advil before bed that always helps. Uh, drinking water. <laughs> Great advice. Um, I love it. I'm a vegan. I don't talk about it very often on the podcast, but uh, I am, and uh, I do still suffer from hangovers. Oh no! Um, <laughs> oh no! <laughs> <laughs> so I might debunk that one. Uh, Stephanie, thank you so, so much for hanging out with me, talking about your life, music, craft, beer. Everyone, go pick up these books. If you like really, really scary, very extremely gruesome uh, stories that will make you think about not going down the alley or most definitely not picking up that girl <laughs> in the bar when she's too eager to come home with you, uh, if you're a bad person. <laughs> pick them up and enjoy them. Uh, Stephanie, thank you so much. This is amazing. I greatly, greatly appreciate you taking the time. Cheers. Thank you. Cheers. So I have a little bit of a beer left. <laughs> hey, thank you all so, so much for listening right there. You know that I love and appreciate that. Man, this was awesome. I love, love hanging out with different types of people. And an author is someone that I've only done a few times, as I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, uh, I think only a handful of times. I love it. I think it's just so cool to connect with metal artists that do different things. And Stephanie is definitely doing that with her very, very vulgar, extreme, gory, strange horror novels that she's writing. I'm a fan and I'm looking forward to the next installment. Uh, so that uh, she can shock me some more. Uh, Massive cheers to Stephanie. Thank you so, so much for hanging out with me. I had an absolute blast, and I hope that you did as well. Now, if you enjoyed this Vox and Hops episode, you should sign up to the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast mailing list. You can do that on my website, voxandhops.com. That's V-O-X-A-N-D-H-O-P-S.com. 
When you do that, you shall receive one email a month that contains all of the details of everything that has happened recently in the world of the Vox and Hops Metal podcast. You'll get to see which episodes I've released recently. You'll get to see which episodes I have coming up. You'll get to see which albums the Vox and Hops album review crew have reviewed recently. You'll get to see any information about any projects I have in the works before I announce them to the public. And trust me, I always have a bunch of things going on behind the scenes. You also get to see which albums... Jerry Monk, the metal architect himself, has added to the Brutal Awakenings playlist the most extreme, fresh, new music that is dropping every week. Jerry listens to it all somehow, and he puts it on the playlist for you to enjoy. It's available on both Apple Music and Spotify. The Brutal Awakenings playlist is what you want to be listening to. Trust me. There's just so much going on in the world of the Vox and Hospital podcast. I hate for you to miss a single thing, so sign up to the mailing list. The Vox and Hospital podcast is brought to you by Sound Talent Media and Evergreen Podcasts. I hope you have a killer weekend. I will be back next week with two episodes yet again, one on Tuesday and another on Friday. But until then, remember to enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. Cheers, Vox and Hops hits. <laughs> Hello, everybody. I'm Bruce. And I'm Nolan. And this is the Corner of Gray Street Podcast. As longtime Dave Matthews Band fans, we set out to create a podcast to dive deep into the past, present, and future of DMB. Not only do we recap and review shows within an ongoing tour, but we revisit past shows from throughout the band's history, conduct interviews with a wide variety of guests with ties to DMB, and create unique and exclusive content like our Concerts on the Corner series. Whether you're a fan of the band or just a fan of great music, we think you'll find something you'll enjoy. We can't wait to see you on The The Corner Corner of Gray Street. Street.